before we pray, how many of you are without power right now as we speak? Well, not as bad as I thought. But I did want to pay, pray for all the people who are without power. I, I talked to Mike Corona, and a tree fell near their house. I think it fell on a house near in their neighborhood. And I even think there's one death already from a tree falling on a house, if I understand correctly. But I would like to pray for those people who are without power and those who maybe have injuries as a result of the storm we're having. Could we pray together, please? Our Father, we do lift up this whole situation to you. And because you are in charge of all the elements, we pray that you would uh, have mercy on us, Lord, here in the Santa Cruz area where the, the winds are knocking trees down and people are without power and some people are being injured and homes are being damaged. We just pray, Lord. Well, we lift up Haiti to you, who's in such worse condition, it shouldn't even be compared. And we, we lift them up to you, all of the children and the people that are injured, the people that are dead and that are losing, they've lost their relatives, and they just don't quite know what to do. So, Lord, we lift them up to you. And then we heard about this aftershock of 6.1 today that caused a lot of additional damage and injury and some death, and we pray for them. We pray for all of the help that's on its way. We pray that it'll get there real soon and that you would touch these young people and these older people who are suffering so much in Haiti. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Did you get a handout tonight? If you didn't get one, we have some extra ones, I think. The reason you have a handout, we're studying tonight 2 Samuel chapter 22. And for those of you who didn't know it, Psalm 18 is virtually the same word for word. And it's not surprising when you realize that David wrote both of them. He probably dictated to Samuel, Samuel 22, that we're in tonight, and he penned the words of Psalm 18. So this is just a look-see at how they compare. They're just one verse off. Like Psalm 18, verse 2, is 2 Samuel 22, 2 and 3, and so forth. And Psalm 18, 3 is 2 Samuel 22, 4. No charge for that. Now, I think we have a slide for 2 Samuel 22. Did we get it? Can you read that? I thought I made it bigger than that. I guess I didn't. Well, this is the way it's uh, the outline of the chapter. In verses 2 and 3, we see David praising God because he's the almighty God. And then in verses 4 through 7, the second division there, because God is almighty, David can confidently call on him in a time of trouble. And then in verses 8 through 16, we see David praising God as creator who has power over the elements he created. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. Because God has power over the elements he created, you can pray to him tonight to stop the wind so your tree won't fall on your house. Donna had a tree fall on her house just about a year ago or less, right? And then the fourth division, deliverance from men and hurtful circumstances are turned into blessing by God. Verses 17 through 20. Then number five, God rewards the righteous and judges the proud and the ungodly, verses 21 through 28. 
And then division six, God is a light in the darkness and he has strength to fight to give strength to fight the good fight. That's verses 29 through 43. And then number seven, God worked in the minds of Israel and the Gentile nations to help David. That's 44 through 49. And then finally, the last two verses of the chapter. Because of all of this, David sings praise to God among those in Israel and among the Gentiles. The nations other than Israel, in other words. Well, when we, we take a look at uh, verse chapter 22 through 24, um, or just chapter 22, actually 22 through 24, mark the last months of David's life. He's in the latter stages of his life now. He's an older man. He has experienced personal failure in his life. But he's also experienced God's forgiveness and mercy. He's experienced terrible family failure, so much so that there were people who felt he shouldn't be king anymore. For instance, his daughter Tamar was raped by one of his sons, Amnon. Can you imagine having a son who rapes your daughter? And then he experienced opposition from trusted friends like Joab and Ahithophel. And from his own sons, Absalom and Adonijah. They tried to take away the throne from their father. But then David praises God for the great deliverance from all of his enemies, whether they are in Israel or out of Israel. And as he looks back on his life, he considers God's mercy and deliverance. And his heart is full of praise and thankfulness. He's not mad at God because of all the suffering he went through. Almost all of the words of David's praise and worship, as we've said, is in this 18th Psalm. You know, when you think about it, when we look at David's life, other than being king, not being kings, other than not ruling a country, you and I are very much like David. Like David, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Isaiah said, all we like sheep have gone astray, each one in his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And just as in David's case, God has forgiven us, and we stand today as new creations in Christ. Paul said that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away, all things have become new. If you've been saved, that's true of you tonight. You know, we are forgiven sinners. David was a forgiven sinner. He was quick to own up to his sins. He didn't try to dodge his, the fact that he was a sinner. When Nathan confronted him about what he did with Bathsheba and Uriah, when Nathan said, you are the man, David repented with all of his heart. And it's so much so that God spoke and said, he is still a man after my own heart because of his heart. So as forgiven sinners, we should rejoice in the words of Jesus. Jesus said to the disciples when they were jumping up and down because he gave them power to cast out demons, he said, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. That's something to rejoice about. Your name is written in heaven. And then we're like David in the sense that we have been baptized into the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 12, it says, For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, 
whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. In other words, brothers and sisters, we are citizens of the kingdom of God. When John the Baptist showed up on the scene, it was a day like Israel had never seen before. And uh, this man was dressed in strange clothes, in uh, camel's hair, and he ate locusts and, and honey. He was a strange figure. But he was a man filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And what was his message? He said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And when Jesus arrived on the scene just a few weeks later, he said the same thing. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we are citizens of the kingdom of God. And you know where the kingdom of God is? Has anyone ever asked you where the kingdom of God is? If you were to have, have to have a quiz, where is the kingdom of God, what would you say? Where? The kingdom of God is in you. You know, the kingdom of God is everywhere that Jesus Christ is king. Is Jesus king in your heart? Then the kingdom of God has come to you. And you're a member of the kingdom of God. So we are citizens. Like David, we are citizens in the kingdom of God. And we have a fantastic future. And just like David, we worship God, we praise God, we thank God. And all of this should constantly be on our lips. It's our privilege to do so. When you think about it, there's only one person in the universe who's worthy, worthy of every ounce of praise we can give him, and it's God Almighty himself. Now, as we look at 2 Samuel, verse 1, we see that David is grateful to God, and he sings a song of praise. Look at verse 1. Then David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord had delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. Don't skip over that quickly in your mind. David went through years of uh, fleeing from Saul and other enemies. Who were some of those enemies? Well, there were the Philistines and other Gentile nations around Israel. His own son Absalom, his own son Adonijah, Ahithophel, Joab, and all sorts of armies with neighboring kings. And in spite of all of this, we see David singing praises to God because he is the Almighty God. Look at verse 2. And he said, the Lord is my rock and fortress and my deliverer, the God of my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my savior, you save me from violence. We're just going to pick out a, a word or two there. But when you look at verses two and three, you see that God is a God of strength. He says he's a rock and he's a fortress. He's a stronghold. He's a refuge. Words that describe God's power, God's strength, God's protection, God's refuge, God's deliverance. Let's just pick the word rock. We have 51 verses and we'd be here forever if we use it, pick all the words. So let's pick the word rock. Uh, he's talking now about a hollowed out place in a rock, a place of refuge. He says, God is my rock. Now, many of you have never heard of a man who lived in the 1700s in England, a pastor by the name of Augustus Toplady. How many of you have heard of Augustus Toplady before? My wife has. You know, when I read the story of Augustus Toplady, I thought he must have had a lot of fights when he was a little boy. Augustus, what's your name, son? Augustus. Augustus, what's your last name? Toplady. Anyway, he became a pastor. He only lived 38 years. He pastored in uh, the countryside in England. And one day when he was walking out in the country, 
just thinking about a message for his church the next Sunday, it started raining. And he was looking for shelter. He was in a wooded area, and he thought he'd get under a tree, but that wasn't helping him very much. So he saw a formation of rock nearby, and there was a cleft hewn out of that rock. And so he jumped into that cleft, and the rain came coming down, and it was cascading down over the face of that rock. But he was high and dry in the cleft, and it was just he could reach out and touch the rain as it was coming down. And words began to come to him about God. And he wrote down some of them on a piece of paper that he had with him. And as he was in the cleft of that rock, these words came to him. And if you've been a Christian very long, you've sung these words many times. These were the words that came. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be from sin the double cure and save from wrath and make me pure. Could my tears forever flow? Could my zeal no longer know? These from sin, no longer know, excuse me. These from sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. In my hand no price I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. While I draw this fleeting breath, when my eyes shall close in death, when I rise to worlds unknown and behold thee on thy throne, rock of ages cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Thank God he saw the rock. And David said, God is my rock and my fortress. God is a place of refuge. In Psalm 61, David also wrote these words, 61 verse 2. He says, from the end of the earth, I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Now in verses 4 through 7, because God is almighty, David can confidently call upon him in a time of trouble. You know, if God were not almighty, he wouldn't be much help when we're in trouble, would he? But because he is the, the almighty God, we can call on him in a time of trouble. Verse 4. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. Verse 4 is a statement of resolve and conviction. I will call upon the Lord. Let me ask you a question. Why are we so slow sometimes to call upon the Lord? Have you ever thought that? Have you ever heard anyone say, well... We've done everything we can do. All we can do now is pray. You ever heard that? Have you ever said it? Don't. <laughs> Let me submit something to you. I think you already know this. But more often than not, the very best thing we can do is pray. Because God is listening to us. Why is that true? Well, he's listening to us, but think about this promise. He said in Jeremiah, call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. I'll do above you all that you ask or think, the Bible says. You know, we think certain things when we pray. We give God a list of things that are on our hearts, and God can do better than that, and he does. And thank God he does do better than that. I love 1 Peter 3.12. I quoted it from this pulpit not long ago. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So if you're here tonight and you're a Christian, 
The Bible says you are righteous. Not because you do everything just right, but because you've been saved by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that God's eyes are on you all the time. And his ears are open to your prayers. So it's good for us to pray, isn't it? Because God is listening. And then in verses 8 through 16, David praises his creator because he has the power over all the elements that he created. Look at verse 8. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations of heaven quaked and were shaken because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils, devouring fire from his mouth. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down with darkness under his feet. He rode upon a cherub and flew, and, it, and he was seen upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness canopies around him, dark waters with thick clouds of skies. From the brightness before him, coals of fire were kindled. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice. He sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning bolts, and he vanquished them. Then the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were uncovered at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. What is David saying here? Because God has power over the elements that he created, we can call upon him in a time of trouble because he can control them. You know, um, think about God controlling the elements. I said earlier, and it bears repeating that because God made the wind, because God made the heavens and the earth, we can ask him to do things about certain things of the elements. I want to read you a passage from 1 Kings. This is chapter 17, verses 1 through 6. It says, Elijah, the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Now let me ask you, was that the power of Elijah that said that? Was Elijah stopping the rain and then bringing it again when he he chose to do so? Or did he know the living God who would stop the rain and bring it when he wanted to? Which, Which is the answer? I guess you know. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. So David is praising God because he is in charge of the elements he created. He's also in charge of the animals and the birds, is he not? And he could, what, what caused those ravens to bring um, bread and meat to Elijah every day? Right on time, here comes lunch, here comes dinner, in the mouth of ravens. Because God can, can do that. Because God has charge over his creation. He fed Elijah. He spoke the world into existence. He flooded the earth and he started it all over anew with a boat and eight souls. He fed Israel in the wilderness for 40 years with manna every morning, just like clockwork. He he sent Jesus to earth in the womb of the Virgin Mary. Even faithful Mary had questions. She said, how can this be, seeing I do not know a man? How can this be? Well, Mary, I can hear God answering that. This is how it can be, Mary. 
I am God and there's nothing too hard for me. As a matter of fact, God did say that through the mouth of Jeremiah. This is in Jeremiah 32, 27. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? What is the answer to that question? Absolutely not. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. Do you remember Job and the problems of Job? Job's family was taken away from him one day. His health was taken away from him in one day. So there he is with uh, his children are dead. He has no health anymore. He has sores all over his body. He has to scrape the sores. With, I can't remember what. He scraped them with something. And he was in deep distress. Well, some friends showed up to comfort him. You know, with friends like Job had, we don't need any enemies, if you know much about Job and his friends. But his friends said some things that were harsh and pretty cruel. And even Job, during his suffering, said some things that God didn't like too much. So God showed up one day, and he spoke to Job these words. And he's, he's talking about his power over creation that he made. It says in Job 38, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is he who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Well, I guess so. If God questions you, you're going to answer. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know, or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Have you ever thought about that, the universe? What does it sit on? He asked him that question, what were its measurements and, and what is, to what is it fashioned? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. I don't exactly know what that means. I, I have an opinion about it. I think the angels were made before God created the heavens and the earth. And I think the angels were witnesses of the creation of the heavens and the earth. And I believe that when God said, let there be light and stretch out the heavens with all of its magnificence, and when he made the earth and the sea and all the beautiful colors and the water and the clouds and the sky, I think the angels were amazed and they sang with great joy. It says, where were you when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst forth and issued from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band. When I fixed my limit for it and set bars and doors. When I said this for you, this far you may come but no farther. I thought to myself, well, I wonder if I went to the beach and told the waves you can come this far and no farther. I wonder if they'd stop. Well, they stopped when God told them to stop. And you can go on and read the rest of that chapter. I won't, I'll spare you that. Um, but anyway, he's showing Job in no uncertain terms that Job doesn't know as much as he thinks he does, that he is the living God and he made the heavens and the earth. And uh, he, then he asked him, so I will read the last part of this. He said, can you lift up your voice to the clouds that an abundance of water may cover you? 
Can you send out lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are? Who has put wisdom in the mind? Or who has given understanding to the heart? Who can number the clouds by wisdom? Who can pour out the bottles of heaven? When the dust hardens in clumps and the clods cling together, can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of young lions when they crouch in their dens or lurk in their lairs to lie in wait? Who provides food for the raven when its young ones cry to go and wonder about for lack of food? You see, David had great confidence in God because he knew he was the creator of all things and he controlled the elements that he made. That's the kind of God that David prayed to and that we do. And then in verses 17 through 20 of 2 Samuel 22, we have the deliverance from hurtful men and circumstances and God turning them around into blessing in that passage. In verse 17, it says, He sent from above, he took me, he drew me out of many waters, he delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, from those who were too strong for me. Now, what is David doing here? Well, you can read the words. He's praising God for delivering him from an enemy that was too strong for him to defeat himself. In the day of my calamity, he said, the Lord was my support. Why did God deliver David? David answers that question. He says, because he delighted in me. Let me ask you, are you aware tonight that God literally delights in you? He does, you know. He delights in everyone who has received his son, Jesus. He delights in you. God delights in everybody who loves him. He was delighted with David. And if you love the Lord this evening, he's delighted with you. The next time the enemy tells you that you're not worth very much, just remember that the Lord delights in you. Tell him that. And then in verses 21 through 28, God rewards the righteous and judges the proud and the ungodly. The Lord rewarded me, verse 21, according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands, he recompensed me. Here it is again. He is saying that God has rewarded me because of my righteousness. Now, God says that Christians are righteous. He doesn't say that David was sinless. He said he was righteous. What's the difference between that? What is God saying? That David is righteous. Paul put it this way. He said, I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love is appearing. So I think if I were to take a poll tonight, I would think I'd get the affirmative from every one of you that when the Lord Jesus does appear, you're going to love it. Am I right? Well, you love is appearing, so God is going to give you a crown of righteousness. Now, you didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. But it's being given to you by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, God has declared that you are righteous. And Paul wrote to the Philippians, and this is the way he said it in chapter 3. I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, 
but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. So you are righteous in the sight of God because you have a Savior. And then in verses 29 through 43, we see that God is light in the darkness and he's strength to fight the good fight. David says in verse 29, For you are my lamp, O Lord. The Lord shall enlighten my darkness. Do you think about that, that God is a light and he lights the darkness? You know, Jesus said, I am the light of the world and he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. If you believe and love Jesus tonight, you're following somebody who is the light. And then he says, he's my strength. God is my strength and power in verse 33. Our brother Paul in the New Testament echoes these words of David. He said in Ephesians 6, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We have no strength on our own. Our strength comes from God. And then last but not least in verse 36, he says, You have also given me the shield of your salvation. Your gentleness has made me great. Did you ever think about God being gentle? David is saying the gentleness of God has made me great. Can you hear the words of Jesus in this? Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus is gentle, and so should we be gentle. Now, in verses 43 through 49, God worked in the minds of Israel and the Gentile nations to help David. Now think about this. I'm saying that God worked in the minds of the people of Israel and in the minds of the neighboring nations to help David. In verse 44, he says, You have also delivered me from the strivings of my people. You have kept me as the head of the nations. A people I have not known shall serve me. The foreigners submit to me. As soon as they hear, they obey me. The foreigners fade away, come and frighten from their hideouts. The Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. Now, he said, in other words, that God works in the minds of the neighboring nations and people in my nation to serve me as the king. God works in people's minds. In Proverbs 21, it says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, like the rivers of water. He turns it wherever he wishes. Do you know tonight that our president, the president of our country's heart, is in the hand of the Lord? I don't know if he knows it or not, but it is. I hope he knows it. Do you know that our Supreme Court is in the hand of the Lord. In other words, we can pray for God to make changes in government. We can pray for God to make changes in elections because God works in the minds of men. He moves them like the rivers of water, whithersoever he will. I personally believe that the prayers of God's people passed Proposition 8. I believe that. And that marriage is between one man and one woman. I believe that. And... You know, it's in the courts again. They're trying to overturn it. But if they do, if this Circuit Court of Appeals overturns it, it may go all the way to the Supreme Court. But God has those men and women in his mind, has the minds of those men and women too. So we can pray and things can change. 
God can change things. You and I can't. We know somebody who can. Now, remember the words of God. He challenges us to call upon him so he can make changes. This is a famous verse that many Christians memorize. This is 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Does the United States of America need to be healed? Well, God can heal it. He says he can. But it's up to his people. It's not up to the people who don't call on the name of the Lord. It's up to you and me. It's up to God's people. I have an idea that when we get to heaven, we're going to be ashamed that we didn't ask God for more and follow up on just exactly what he's told us to do. (laughs) Then in the last two verses of our study tonight, verses 50 and 51, David sings praise to God among the Jews and the Gentiles. Look at verse 50. Therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles, and sing praises to your name. He is the tower of salvation to his king and shows mercy to his anointed, to David and to his descendants forevermore. So David gives praise to God, not only amongst the Jews, but amongst the Gentiles. Do you know that Paul quoted David exactly on this point? In Romans 15, 9 uh, is an exact quote of what we just read. For this reason I will confess you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. So David said that he would testify with his voice the praises of Jehovah to those who did not know him, to the Jews and to the Gentiles. Now who are the Gentiles? Well, we probably have... Um, is there any, are there any... Uh, Jewish people in the congregation tonight. Anyone here is a Jew? It's okay if you are. That means the rest of you are Gentiles. People who aren't Jews are Gentiles. Now, are there? Uh, would you say that there are billions of Gentiles who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, excuse me, go ahead and say it. The Jews need to hear it too. Of course they do. It's just that there are a few billion Jews and there are, they're not, there are millions of Jews, not billions, excuse me. And there's something like six, seven, or eight billion Gentiles on the face of the earth. David is so grateful to God that he gives thanks and sings the praises of God among the people who have not believed, Jews and Gentiles. Every Christian, all of us, me, you, should imitate David and sing the praises of God to the Jews and the Gentiles. David was not ashamed when it came to telling others. Paul was not ashamed. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Through the centuries, countless of our brothers and sisters have not been ashamed to tell the gospel. And now it's our turn. We're alive today, so it's up to us to tell. It is our time to be witnesses to him who loved us so much. These were the last words of Jesus before he went back to heaven. If you remember, a crowd of of a little over 500 people were assembled together, and Jesus spoke to them. 
He said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know what I thought of? I thought of the song that we teach the children. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. And we need to, and you know, really all of us are children when you think about it. Compared to God, we're just children. And he loves all the children. He wants us to testify to all of the children. If you think about it, almost every day, somebody crosses your path who needs to hear about Jesus. May God help us. May God help us, everyone, as we live our lives and as people cross our paths to sing praises of the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you know who Greg Laurie is? Okay. Greg Laurie is a pastor in Riverside, of Calvary Chapel Riverside. He's also an evangelist, and he holds pretty large crusades now, evangelistic crusades, much like Billy Graham. And frankly, he has them sometimes with Billy Graham, and, but more so with Franklin Graham now. Anyway, he has a devotional every day, and you can sign up for it, and it'll come right to your email. I'd like to read you today's devotional from Greg Laurie. He said, sometimes people ask me why I do what I do. I have a very simple answer <clears throat> excuse me, to that question, which is that I really do believe the things that we read in the Bible are true. For example, I really believe what the Bible says about our lives being a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. I really believe there is an eternity, there is an afterlife, there is a heaven, there is a hell. I really believe that only those who put their faith in Jesus Christ will go to heaven. And I also believe that I need to share this message with as many people as possible. He said, I received the following letter from someone who came to Christ at one of our Harvest Crusades some years ago. It was a new, in Philadelphia. This woman writes and said, My younger brother went to sleep one night and never woke up. He was 23 years old and had just graduated from college. He moved to Philadelphia after he graduated. I found out that the Harvest Crusade was coming to Philadelphia, so I took my younger brother with me to hear the gospel. He was not yet a believer. He went forward at the invitation and gave his life to Christ, and God called him home one month after he walked forward. She said, my brother lives today because of your ministry. He is in the arms of Jesus, and that's where I'm going to meet him again. Greg said, this is why I do what I do. This is why I want to get the gospel out. This is why we were placed on earth to come into a relationship with God, to know him, to glorify him with our lives, and to share him with people who don't yet know him. You know, Second uh, Samuel 22, verse 4 and verse 47 were, at, were made into a song that used to be sung a lot in Calvary chapels and many other churches all around this nation. 
Verse 4 says, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. And then verse 47 says, The Lord liveth, and blessed be my rock, and may the God of our salvation be exalted. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you so much that you are the living God, the mighty God, the God who is our rock, who is our fortress and our strength. You're our shield and our deliverer. You're all of these things and more. And we thank you so much. We pray that you would forgive us where we have fallen short of the glory of God and have not told others when we should. I pray that you would help us, Lord. I pray for every person here that you would help us to be more like you. Help us to be bearers of the the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who need to hear us so much. So as we stand and sing this song, help us to rejoice, but help us to be reminded to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.